This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Would you go with me into the New Testament to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2? And we're, sp- we're spending some time at the beginning of not only the year 2020, but of this decade. <laughs> As I said 2020, I asked myself, is that really right? How many of you find yourself asking yourself that question sometimes? It's hard to believe, isn't it? And as we begin this year and this decade, we're looking at this thought back to the basics. And we've looked at the thought over the last three Sundays back to the basics of the New Testament church. We learned three things. Number one, the Lord's presence is among us. We learned secondly that the Lord has a plan for us. And we learned that the Lord's power is working through us. And oh, how we need God's power today. Uh, this morning, I want us to, as we consider this subject back to the basics, I, I want us to consider the thought that we find here in Acts chapter 2, back to the basics of biblical preaching. Back to the basics of biblical preaching. Now, let me just tell you, before you tune me out, this is not just a message for preachers who are called to be pastors or missionaries or evangelists. No, no, this is for all of us because I want you to know that God has called each and every one of us to proclaim, to herald the good news of Jesus Christ. God has called us all. So before you tune me out, tune in and let God speak to your heart because there's a message for all of us here. Not only are we going to learn what we need to do when we're preaching God's word, but we, I pray that we understand how we need to listen, how we need to hear. Four times in this second chapter, uh, Peter exhorts the people to hear him, to hear him. Do you know what the devil wants to do right now? Let me tell you. He wants to distract you. He wants to cause you to think about everything under the sun, but what is going to be said as we look together in God's word. And so may God help us to understand that we need to get back to the basics of biblical preaching. We go to Acts chapter number 2, and uh, we come uh, this morning uh, to verse number uh, 22. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22, and we hear Peter now who has uh, began to address the people of Jerusalem. Remember, the Holy Spirit has come. And uh, he, he came in power, a sound that they all heard, a, a sight that they all saw, the cloven tongues of fire that set upon them, uh, a speech that they all understood. There were 17 different language groups listed there, and they all heard the Bible. They all heard the message of God's word in their own tongue. And now they've come together amazed by this, uh, this sign that they have all seen. And... Uh, Peter is preaching to explain to them what happened. In verse number 22, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And so he's quoted not only earlier in verses 17 through 21, the prophet Joel, but here he quotes uh, the psalmist David. And in verse 29, he gives a little explanation. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, that's his burying place, his grave, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That is that God had made the promise that the Messiah would come from David's seed. Verse 31, he seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, before Jesus was born, uh, David prophesied of the resurrection of Jesus, and that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, he he applies this again in verse 32. This Jesus, hath, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. <laughs> now, Paul speaks about the many infallible proofs and that he was seen of above 500 at one time. And so everybody in Jerusalem had heard the tale how that the soldiers had been bribed to say that the body of Jesus had been carried away, but they had all seen him. This was an indisputable fact. And so Peter is speaking to them concerning the indisputable fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's saying this was prophesied by David before Jesus was even born. And then he says in verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. That is the coming, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which takes place in verses uh, 1 through 12. He said, so now I'm giving you explanation concerning his resurrection, concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Uh, do you want to know what God's doing in the world today? Friend, I want to tell you what he's doing. He's making his foes the footstool of Jesus Christ. He is coming to rule and reign. Just rest assured of the fact. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know, I like this word, don't you? Assuredly, that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and sent unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Holy 
ghost, rather. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they, verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Here we have the first transcript of the first sermon preached in the New Testament church. And it was an evangelistic sermon. It was a sermon that was not preached necessarily in the building. Oh, no, this is a sermon that was preached in the streets of Jerusalem to a multitude of people. And so here we have this record of this message, this preaching of Peter. And in this message, we're going to find four principles uh, that will help us all understand uh, what it is to preach biblically, to preach biblically. And remember now, none of us are exempt, right? We've all been called to be witnesses. Now, we've not all been called to be pastors. We've not all been called to be evangelists or missionaries, but we have all been called to be witnesses. You see, the office of the pastor and the, the evangelist and the missionary, those, those works are done in the context of the local New Testament church, and those are men that God uses to encourage teachers, pastors, missionaries, evangelists. Those are people that God uses uh, to exhort and edify his people. But all of his people are called to take his message to a lost world. And so what we're going to find here is that we have a responsibility to take the message. Now, we live in an age where many would say, Biblical preaching is a thing of the past. And by the way, we're not the only ones to live in an age like that. Do you know that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the most read preachers in the entire history of the world, uh, he dealt with the same problems that we're dealing with today. Let me just give you a, a, a little information. Uh, this is taken from a book called Kindled Fire by Zach Eswine. And in this book, he is detailing the preaching ministry of Spurgeon. And in Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's day, in, in, in mid-19th century London, the late to mid, or the mid to late, rather, 1800s, uh, Spurgeon, preaching there, uh, dealt with what he referred to as uh, the hardening process of the culture. In other words, Spurgeon noted that all around London in those days and all throughout England that people were being hardened uh, to the gospel. And uh, Swine, uh, the author, lists a number of hindrances to preaching. Let me just mention those to you. First of all, the expansion of media access. Now, they didn't have iPads and the Internet, right? They didn't have cell phones, but they had the penny press, uh, the, the newspaper, the press. And so... Uh, S. Wine writes, the, the expansion of media access minimized the dependence of the people upon a local preacher and enabled them to pay less attention to the preacher's authority in the community. That was one obstacle. Here's another skepticism, suspicion and doubt resulting from Darwinism. Remember Darwin? He is the one who, who gave us the theory of evolution. And the higher critical skepticism 
of those who challenge the uh, authenticity and the truthfulness of the Bible. And human reasoning became a trusted authority. Not only does he say that was part of the hardening process, but he lists for us a third thing, shorter attention spans due to the frenetic pace of the culture, material gain, illiteracy, and the perceived dullness of logic. You said Spurgeon dealt with that in the late 1800s? Yes, he did. Here's another. A renewed attention to rhetoric, eloquence, and scholarship. Uh, You know, did the preacher have credibility? Uh, Then this one. An increased preference for artistry over sermons as architecture, music, and other forms of art were increasingly sought to counteract the decline in church attendance. Today's modern church movement says you've got to have, uh, you've got to have dramas and you've got to have video clips and you've got to have, uh, you've got to have uh, a great music ministry and there's nothing wrong with music ministry and drama may have its place and, and video may have its place at times. I'm, I'm not here to, to cast aspersion on all of that. But what I'm here to say is that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which are lost. God's chosen ordained method does not change with the culture. It does not change with the times. God's method is for the word of God to be proclaimed and to be preached. You can can change your preference. The culture can change its, its preference, but God's method never changes. He gives other obstacles and hindrances material opportunities which hindered clergy's uh, or preachers' willingness to serve lesser calls. In other words, pastors decided they could make more money doing something else. Seminary seemingly unable to train pastors for the realities of ministries which were too demanding. And time demands which hindered sermon preparation and communion with God. And I read that and I thought, you mean Spurgeon had to deal with all that because that's what we all have to deal with today. And he did, but yet God blessed him and God used him and he had one of the most prosperous pulpit ministries since the apostolic age. And so we understand that if we will honor God and do what God has told us to do, that God will bless and use the methods that he has established. Now, they say that the secret in the days of Spurgeon was not the fact that Spurgeon was such a wonderful preacher, and he was a great preacher, but it is that the people who heard Spurgeon took the message that Spurgeon preached, and they went to the streets and to the factories and to the shops, and they told people what they heard on Sunday. You see, they were not, there was not just one messenger in London. There were 3,000 messengers who were going throughout London preaching the message of the gospel. And what I want you to know is that you're not just a passive hearer here to be entertained, here to see a show, to walk out and say, well, you know, that guy, he kind of rang the bell today, or that guy really blew it today. Whatever the case may be, the truth of the matter is we're not here to entertain one another. We're not here to to, to, uh, appeal to one another's uh, fancies and wonders and and peculiar uh, desires. We are here to proclaim the message of God's word. And when it is proclaimed on Sunday, it should not die within the walls of this building. It should go out and permeate this city of Hickory and all across the state of North Carolina. May God help us to understand it is incumbent upon us to do what the New Testament church did, and that is to preach the word of God. I want to give you four things about that. 
Number one, biblical preaching is preaching that is powerful. Biblical preaching is preaching that is powerful. Now, you remember what happened in Acts chapter number one. The Holy Spirit came down, and the disciples meeting in the upper room were baptized by the Holy Ghost. And as they were baptized by the Holy Ghost, what did they immediately begin to do? They immediately began to preach the gospel. If you and I are truly filled with the Holy Ghost, truly filled, then you and I are going to be proclaiming the message of Jesus. You say, well, when's the last time I did that? Well, that might give you pause to be concerned. Am I truly filled with the Holy Ghost? If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to tell people about Jesus. Now, we think about what has happened. Notice in verse 12, they were all amazed. The people come, they've heard the language. They've heard in their own language the message, the wonderful works of God. They wonder what is happening, and this multitude begins to come around, and they're all amazed, and they were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine, but Peter, standing up at the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall, what's the next word, church? They shall prophesy. That means they're going to speak. They're going to say what I tell them to say. Uh, when the Spirit of God is poured out on us, then we're going to witness. And as we do, as we witness, we witness in power. Number one is the power of the Holy Ghost. Here's the church empowered by the Holy Ghost. Remember what Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8? But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. When the Holy Spirit came down upon them, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they had power, they had ability, they had strength to proclaim the message. They had boldness. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, when they were threatened and told not to preach, they met to have prayer. They didn't go to the political parties. They met to have prayer. They didn't whine. They didn't cry. They didn't complain. They met and they prayed. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken for they were assembled together. Imagine that. It was like an earthquake had taken place. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who is manifesting himself to them, he is giving them another visible sign that he is with them, that he is among them. Remember, they don't have a completed New Testament like you and I do. And so God uh, showing up in a mighty way, uh, manifesting himself, the whole place is shaken, and they, verse number 31, were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Listen, friend, if you and I want to speak God's word with boldness, we have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, the ground around us may not shake, but let me tell you what will shake. 
There'll be a shaking inside. There'll be a burning in the soul. There'll be a disturbance of our present peace. And we will know that God is with us. And we cannot restrain our voices. We cannot sit there in silence any longer and watch the world go to hell and mar the name of Jesus. For we must speak up because we're filled with the Holy Ghost. It is the power of the Holy Ghost. But not only is it the power of the Holy Ghost, it is the power of the Holy Scriptures. The power of the Holy Scriptures. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, what did Paul say? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, I'm going to tell you what will conquer Rome. It's not an army. It is the message of God's word. Do you know what will conquer the souls of men in our nation? It's not a movement. <laughs> no, it is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has the power to transform lives. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 18, we won't have time to turn to these references, but you may want to write them down. I'm going to give them to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto them, unto us rather, which are saved, it is the power of God. You see, God's word is powerful. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh uh, also in you that believe. Do you know that when you hear the word, the word works in you? It is a powerful word. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says this, for the word of God is quick. That means it gives life. It is life-giving. It is alive. This book of the Bible is not some dead ancient book. It is an everlasting book. It is an eternal book. It is as relevant today as anything you're going to see posted on social media. It is more relevant than anything you're going to see posted on social media. And it is the only thing you're going to see that can give life to a dead soul. He said the word of God is quick and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and to the joints and marrow. The word of God is powerful. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you know where it gets its power? It gets its power from God. It's given by inspiration. That means God breathed it. That's what it literally means. God spoke it. God breathed it. And once God gives it life, it's never going to perish. It is the word of God. It is the life-giving word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 23, but we, Paul said, we preach Christ. That's our only message today, friend. We preach Christ. Christ, may God help the Tabernacle Baptist Church to always desire and always strive to preach one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, we preach Christ crucified under the Jews' stumbling block and under the Greeks' foolishness, but under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I want to tell you something. Preaching, biblical preaching, is preaching 
That is powerful. It imparts life to dead sinners. It stirs the embers in cold Christians. It draws us back when we've drifted away. Oh, how we need the preaching of the Word of God. And oh, how we need to be the preachers of the Word of God in a society that has lost its way, that has no knowledge of the truth. Biblical preaching is preaching that is powerful. Here's the second point. Number two, biblical preaching is preaching that is plain. It's not complicated. It's plain. You know, when, when, when Peter is preaching here, he just lays it out for them. Hey, fellas, you've got an Old Testament, and that Old Testament says that these things are going to happen. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those things. Jesus Christ died for you, and he rose again the third day. And if you will believe him, he will save you from your sins. It's really quite a simple message, isn't it? It's not complicated at all. Do you know that the gospel is a simple message? Would you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? I, I want to I teach all of you how to proclaim the message of the gospel. It's really simple. Not complicated, but very simple. Now, I want you to look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, what's the next word? The gospel. I declare unto you the gospel. Here's the gospel. He said, it's the one that I preached unto you. Notice in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. Number one, here's what I need to know if I'm going to present the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Then secondly, and that he was buried. Christ died, and Christ was buried. And thirdly, and that he arose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Here's what I need to know if I'm going to present the gospel. Number one, Christ died for me in my place on the cross, according to the Scriptures. Number two, Christ was buried. Number three, Christ, Jesus, rose again according to the Scriptures. That is the message of the gospel. It's really quite simple, isn't it? Now you say, well, how do I, how do I then become a believer? How then do I secure the forgiveness of sin and life eternal? How is it that I can be saved? Well, there was a man who asked Paul that question in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30. He said to Paul and to Silas, his companion, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? And the answer is really quite simple. Do you know what Paul said? He said, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 tells us what it means to believe. Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I tell you the message is plain? 
It's simple. It's not complicated. Here it is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, and made the payment for your sin. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. And he will give eternal life to you if you'll simply believe on him. You must confess that you're a sinner. You must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior. And if you will just simply by faith believe him and trust him and do that according to God's word, if you'll call upon him, you will be saved. But my, oh my, how complicated that gets for a lot of people. In fact, it's complicated by a lot of churches, right? I mean, you could, you could visit Hickory, Taylorsville, Lincolnton, New, uh, Newton, Conover, Statesville, Morganton, wherever you want to go. And you're going to find churches today who will not explain the message of the gospel to you. And there are people who've complicated this thing. And there are people who, 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 who are not consistently preaching this message. But it's all very simple. Now, the Bible tells me that God, in 1 Corinthians 14, is not the author of confusion. So that means he cannot be behind all of this teaching that contradicts the teaching of the Bible. Listen, there is no hope in the Pope. Can I say that again? There is no hope in the Pope because the Catholic Church does not follow anything that even resembles biblical teaching. And I'm sorry to say this, but there's some Baptist churches in North Carolina that don't do the same. And there are plenty of Lutheran churches that don't preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And there are lots of Reformed churches around here and United Churches of Christ around here, the most liberal denomination in all of America, who do not preach the soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God help us, because we're going to stand before him and give an account for what we've done, to be consistent and to preach the simplicity of the message of the gospel. And I want you to know that God is not the author of confusion. So if people are confused, that's not because God wants them to be. If people are confused, it's because Satan wants them to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, in verse number 3, the Bible says, as Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said, but I fear, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. Who deceived Eve? The devil. As he beguiled Eve through his subtlety. You know, he didn't come to her and say, hey, Eve, I want to send you to hell. No, no, no. He didn't come with a pitchfork and red skin and horns going out of his head. Oh, no, he came as an angel of light. He came as somebody sympathetic toward her. He spoke to her in smooth, soft tones, and he said, you know, Eve, I really want to help you. Don't listen to the Bible. Don't listen to the preacher. Kids, don't listen to Brother Troy. Don't listen to your teachers. Don't listen to your parents. Listen to me. I got Instagram and Snapchat. Listen to me. I'm having a party over here. That's the way he comes. Subtly. Attractively. Beautifully. And he seeks through his subtlety. As Paul said, here's the fear. So that your minds, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, sometimes when we're given the message, it's, it's so simple, we even wonder, is it that easy? 
It is. Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. You're a sinner. That's why he died. He loves you. That's why he died in your place. If you'll admit you're a sinner and confess it to him and receive him and humble yourself and call upon him, he will save you and forgive you of your sin and give you life everlasting. There's nothing you have to do except believe on him. And then when you do, brother, let me tell you what happens. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. You don't have to do anything. He does it all in you. That is the simplicity of the message. Now, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as he spoke about his own ministry, he said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, notice what he says in verse 2 but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to know we're going to handle the message of God's word in honesty and in truth, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Do you know that there are people who handle the word of God deceitfully? And there are those who are deceived, who don't know any better, who handle the word of God deceitfully? Let me tell you who's behind that. It's not God, it is the devil. He said, we're not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, but if our gospel be hid... Now notice this, please, in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In other words, they don't understand it. They don't believe it. They haven't received it. They don't know the Lord. Why? Because the gospel's hid to them. Verse 4, in whom the God of this world, that's little g, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who is keeping people in darkness? It's the devil, friend. Who is behind all of the confusion? Who is behind all of the false teaching? Who is behind all of the thoughts that I have to somehow work my way into heaven that I'm not good enough to be saved? Uh, who is behind all of that? I want to tell you, it is the devil. I had a friend tell me years ago, I'm not a Christian, and I appreciate your earnest attempts to point me to Jesus. He said, but the truth of the matter is, I think that when it's all said and done, and I stand before him, he's going to say, you're okay. You're okay. Now, that's a dear friend I pray for today. I love him, and I pray God will save him. But if he dies thinking that, he's going to die blinded and on his way to hell, thinking that he has to somehow make his own way to heaven. Well, then there's only one way, and that is through Jesus. Now, friend, we are to preach the gospel plain. Just say it as it is. Friend, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He was buried and he rose again. And if you believe on him and you confess you're a sinner and you call upon him, he will save you. You say, is that all I got to say? Yeah, that's all you got to say. Give them a gospel tract. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Be a witness. Live a consistent life in front of them. But that's really all you have to say. It's really quite plain. Believe God. Proclaim his name. And then trust him. Well, that's enough for this morning. I got two more points. 
I don't think you want to stay for the rest. Biblical preaching. They might take you out later after the service. (laughs) Biblical preaching is preaching that is what? Powerful. Biblical preaching is preaching that is what? Plain. Listen, we just have to believe God. We just have to trust God. We just have to obey God. And God will do the rest. God has called us to preach his word. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and the need in your life is not to preach it. Your need is to heed it. And you realize, maybe for the first time, or maybe again, you realize this. You don't know the Lord. And if you died in the condition you're in right now, you'd spend eternity in hell. Will you just simply today receive Christ, believe on him, confess your sin, receive him as your Savior? Friend, he will save you. And then, Christian, who are we telling? Who are we telling? Are we filled with the power of the Holy Ghost? Are we proclaiming the simple, plain message of the gospel? Can God really use that? Oh, yes, he can. He used Peter, didn't he? You say, well, Peter was a special kind of guy. Oh, really? Wasn't he the guy who denied the Lord? Yes, he was. Wasn't he the guy who opened his mouth? He's the big mouth, you know. Wasn't he the guy that, that this sort of time, at, at times doubted? In fact, he even questioned that Jesus had actually arisen. Was, wasn't that the same guy? Yes, it was. And friend, if God can use him, God can use you. All you have to do is be available to God. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.